0: I am Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa.
1: And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Hala Hala Podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino Canadian life.
0: We at the Hollow Hollow podcast acknowledge that our creative project spans these areas and territories and are grateful for the traditional knowledge keepers and elders who are with us today, those who have gone before us, and the youth that inspires us. We recognize the land and benefits it provides all of us as an act of reconciliation, as recommended by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's 94 Calls to Action, and gratitude to those whose territory we reside on work on are visiting. I am podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Ishtabay people.
1: And I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. It is January, and it is back to the vault. And we are looking at turning 25 movies that have turned 25 all this month for the month of January. And our look... For today's episode is American Beauty and Cruel Intentions, and then later we're going to talk about the implications of Bahalana. But before we do that, Sigs, let's catch up. What's been going
0: on pop culture-wise? Now listen, in comparison of what you're going to talk about, I'm mm-hmm. going to keep this quick because I want to hear. Okay. But Echo has been dropped on Marvel. Disney yes. The uh-huh. Marvel Spotlight Banner. Maya Quox who had made her bow in the MCU universe in the show Hawkeye.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Five episodes dropped. It is fantastic. It is mm. a character story about someone who's different. Representation Matters, Indigenous Culture, the background story of how she grew up, they embellished, they showed more of the background of her story, the echoes of generational trauma Mm. and the generations before her and how it empowers her and how it builds a community and how she got molded by Kingpin, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, and how it fits in. And are you what you provided? It's that nature versus nurture. Yes.
1: Yes. Are you a product know, your much...
0: environment. That's exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah. Kuya, you would love it. I mentioned in the What If second season, there was yeah. episode six about Debra Jacobs about indigenous culture mm-hmm. and revisionist history. It was I wonderful. remember. Yeah. And plays in right there. So Echo, put it on your queue. Five okay. episodes. Fantastic. Yeah. And finally, I saw Wonka. How was it? Tell me. And Tell VIP me a lot about it. Week, here's the thing. I didn't know what I was expecting. I was like, yeah. oh, it's Timothy Chalamet. And like, listen, Roald Dahl his texts are anti-Semitic And I've always been a little bit wary Yeah, I saw this and I was like You know what, if you have Hugh Grant As an Oompa-loompa, Oompa-loompa, sort of Yes, intrigued.
1: I did see that, yeah
0: Emily and I said, okay, let's go see this We were going to see anyone but you But it wasn't playing at VIP So he said, let's just go I loved it. It was a musical. I was like, yeah. I knew it was a musical, but I was like, oh, it's a musical. But the songs were catchy. Keegan Michael Key was in it. Olivia mm. Coleman was in it. Yeah like a slew of British actors. It was wonderful. It was very funny. Timothy Chalamet, I really have to give him credit. I mean, Call Me by I I like Your him. Name, yeah. Lady Bird. He had such charisma. And yeah. it was great. surprising, eh? Musical. Yeah, it was fun. It was the art direction, set direction was gorgeous and amazing. And it was him just trying to establish himself as a chocolatier where everyone was against him. Where, how do you adapt to someone that's very new and thinks outside of the box? How do you uprise from that? And how do we honour people that help you out? It was quite enjoyable. I think you would like it. You'd like the production. It was catchy. There's songs where I was like, oh, I'm sort of like, that's a really catchy song. This is a great little Musical escape. I wasn't expecting to like it. I was like, okay, but my wife and I are like, that was very entertaining at a at two hours. And I highly recommend it. I think you would quite enjoy it.
1: You know, I like Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. I know he gets a lot of acclaim from everybody. Like everyone's all agaga over him. Mm-hmm. And just as a side note, he went to school with. Madonna's daughter Lourdes or Lola. That's okay, right, by the way. And I believe they actually dated as well at some point oh, brief- man. briefly.
0: Damn. Yeah, Damn. I know.
1: However, it's kind of like, uh, oh, he's like any other actor, whatever. I mean, like what I said, appreciated him, call me by your name and all of the other stuff that he's in. But I am kind of curious, and it's so intriguing for me to hear you say that he's got charisma because he doesn't seem that way. And I also like this idea and story of how do you uplift or elevate the divergent thinker, right? So that's interesting to me. It's exactly that's a
0: great thematic text that you just presented. Yes. Especially with him singing and getting and like we do know like Timothy Chalamet's next role is to play Bob Dylan. Yes, that's right. And like he he was singing and he was just vibrant and like we're not gonna let these setbacks put us do. I promise you I will get through things with you and the other protagonists. Like it was quite wonderful. I get it. After I was yeah. like, oh, I get why everyone, as P calls them, Timothy Chalamet, the Bing Bong. Why people <laughs> like him. <laughs> and I have that's to true. say.
1: You can't help but want to like him in the end. So that's great. I'm glad. Absolutely. I yeah.
0: quite like it. Now let's go here. Drum roll, please. Kuya, mm. you saw Madge. Tell oh us God. you went last yes. week. Go for it. Go, go, go. Saw her twice saw her
1: both dates that she was here in Toronto. So Damn. let me just kind of back up a little of bit. Of course, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so some people that are casual fans of Madonna's that are friends of mine would all email me or text me and say, oh, I can't wait. And I'm like, yes, I can't wait either. And they're all like, it starts at 830. It's like, Michael and I aren't going to go there until around about close to 10 o'clock. And they're like, what? She's going to come an hour and a half late. And it's like, yeah, she mm-hmm. doesn't start on time. And six, this is what I figured out. I've always known that she doesn't start on time, but when I got there and I was at the Scotiabank Arena, my goodness, first of all, the lineups and the merch lines, huge, huge, huge. Mm -hmm. Second, lineups to the beer line, the alcohol line, the concession lines, huge. So it's Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I wonder if she takes a cut of the, not only merch, but of the concessions lines as well because it was like a party outside in the lodge areas as people
0: were just kind of gathering that's where for she makes money You're, you are correct when it comes to merch that's yeah. where they get more cash so yeah. you had such a wizard because a lot of my friends were saying oh my god she didn't talk to 10 30 and i mentioned i go i heard she started late and you said this is why this is <laughs> like why automatically right? because it's like what
1: i'm gonna go there to listen to a dj for like 40 minutes no, you're going to go. You're going to get drinks. I saw friends that I haven't seen caught up, yeah. <laughs> had a few drinks, then went in and then enjoyed the show. Like, literally, I had Michael take a nap before we went to the show. No,
0: that's show. super smart. And
1: we did that and when know, we you were in the yeah. yeah, that's totally. So we got our drink. It was all very civilized. Instead of like end your day, then rush to get to the concert venue. And right. then you sit there for 8.30 And then suddenly it's like you haven't had a drink, you haven't felt like a human being. And then you're supposed to have a Go have fun. I'm totally okay that she's like not starting till ten. It was two hours and ten minutes. She herself even said that it was going to be a two hour and ten minute concert, and she packed as much. Well, what was her, her, her first song? Ins.
0: Like, what her did she first keep song
1: on? was nothing really matters. Now, can I just tell you something so special about? I want that to hear song? this. I want to hear this. Okay, yes. so she starts. It is one of these Calderon remixes. It might be one of those mixes. Either way, it was one of the heavier beat remixes. It's one of her lesser known hits. Yeah, but, you know, she starts off saying, when I was very young, nothing really mattered to me. Yeah. You know, all she cared about was herself and no one else. And as she comes out, she comes out in what looks like a black robe kimono, which very much evokes the video and her... Grammy's performance. Yeah, But what was really interesting is is that it's black. And what's even more interesting is is that in the next song that she sings, she recreates for a modern day version that kind of street, urchin, east side look, all Mm -hmm. in
0: lace. Siggy, Uh.
1: do you know what it means when someone comes out in a black robe and underneath it is lace?
0: No. What's the connotation? The
1: connotation is, is that she's coming out as a crone. An old wise woman. Oh. Which is very different from when she first burst onto the scene in 1983 in a white maiden dress. Interesting, right? Okay. So she came out in like a white maiden dress in 1983 in like a virgin. And then she comes out 40 years later as a wise woman. I just thought, oh my God this is going to be a concert of a lifetime to see. And so Mm -hmm. just the symbolism, Sigs, like I was struck by the symbolism of it all. It was just incredible. Five acts, five different outfits, five different ideas telling the story of her life. As they had said at the beginning, and Bob the drag queen kind of comes out and starts the show. He was like saying, this isn't a party. This isn't even a concert. This is much more than that. And then when she comes out and has a little bit of a talk Mm -hmm. with the audience, does she say, this is a retrospective of my life. And she pays tribute and homage to four different sections of her life, just essentially talking about and loving different parts and aspects of herself. She was doing a commercial in Europe, and she says in this commercial, it's not who I am, it's how many I am that matters. And I'm just like, this woman just... Like blows my mind in terms of how she thinks about stuff. So she moves through, plays all of her greatest hits. I sobbed at the beginning because I thought it was a wonderful opening. She came out again in this black kimono robe, symbolizing that she's a crone, had a bit of a halo around her and just kind of sifts and floats from the fog. It was just incredible. And then she just went hit after hit after hit. And I was just up dancing and bopping the entire night away and then she does some lovely tributes she did a lovely tribute to the gay men in her life that have fallen to AIDS and it was just so moving so she goes up in this box that then floats around the entire floor oh wow and as that's happening there are all these screens coming down. And what I'd noticed, and I said, oh, that's Martin. That's one of her dancers that she used to dance with that died of AIDS. And then the next picture was this older man and it it said Christopher Flynn. And I was like, oh, that's her dance teacher who died of AIDS. And then it was like Keith Haring. And it's like, oh, Oh she came out with Keith Haring who died of AIDS, which by the way, is at the Art Gallery of Ontario right now, or at least part of his collection. Mm. And so I was just like, Oh, my God, she's doing a tribute to all the gay men she knew that died of AIDS while singing Live to Tell. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was
0: going to say, what was the song Live to Tell? Live to
1: Tell. And and I was just like, oh, my God, she's talking about survivorship. She's talking about how people didn't support gay men in the 80s. You know, Mm -hmm. and I was just like, as a Gen Xer was so moved by this, I was sobbing. Sobbing, sobbing, sobbing oh as gosh. I saw this, and then as she's going around the arena, seeing different gay men that she's known in her life that have died of AIDS, do other people's pictures come up, and she's just singing "Live to Tell," and then the lyrics just become even that much more haunting. It was crazy, and it was mind blowing, and yet it was so moving at the same time. I couldn't, I, I was just dumbfounded. And Sigs, you know me. I'm rarely speechless. I was speechless at the end of the first night. End of the first night. Michael was like, how are you feeling? And I was like, I am I, processing. It's so much. Like I'm, it's I'm so pro- much. There was so much. <laughs> the symbolism, <laughs> the music that she covered, talking about all the different versions of herself that are out there, and then how she survived. And that was one of the most amazing things. Towards the end, she was saying the most controversial thing I've ever done was to stick around. So throughout the entire concert, she was actually also doing tributes to her contemporaries who have all fallen away, like Prince Michael Jackson. Michael? Oh, my God. You know, Sinead O'Connor, like she was showing pictures. Yeah, like during what I call the church sequence where there was like Like a Prayer and a whole bunch of other stuff. It ends with someone miming Prince. And it was just heartfelt because a little known fact is that Prince had actually played a few of the guitar segments on the Like a Prayer album. And so it was just so. One of my favorite songs
0: was Love Song. Yeah. that love song. You know it, you know it. that'd do it. So, yeah, what? go ahead. Okay, I, I have many questions for you. Yeah. What was the best song that you heard? Like, what, what was the ones that stuck out? Like, what you was were dancing best, around.
1: Huh? I do have to say nothing really matters, just because it's Wait, a retrospective. It strong start. Yeah, yeah, strong start. But if I had to say, like, what came in second, yeah. I'd probably say I was surprised by Vogue actually. And oh. she took a ballroom approach to it. So this was kind of the interactive segment of the entire show. So in recent tours, has she either brought up a celebrity or brought up a really super fan or a drag queen mm-hmm. to then participate? Well, in this case, she brought up some drag queens and then they actually participated in giving tens or chopping people off oh no way. In a Vogue <laughs> off. Yeah. It total was total so, ballroom. Like so total ballroom. Beer. Totally That's ballroom. Perfect. Right. And the so essence. Yeah. yeah, totally. And then I think for Michael, he yeah. felt like a bad girl. Bad Girl. Oh
0: my God, she played Bad Girl?
1: I can't believe Damn! it. I can't believe it. I can't believe that she played this ballad of a song, hit number 36 on the Billboard Heart 100s in the 1990s. You know, very sad that body it never went up. Yes, no. that's right, Body of- Body of <laughs> Evidence with Willem Dafoe. Yep, yeah. you know, we can't avoid that. But either way, though, she did a fantastic performance. And then out of nowhere does this baby grand piano come up. And oh. who's sitting and playing the glissando that you hear in Bad Girl? it's Mercy James, Madonna's daughter.
0: No, her daughter. Ta- oh, her daughter.
1: And it's like, oh my, oh my gosh. God. And this is where my Madonna daughter are going to. Yes. Going to send her to Juilliard or wherever she's going to go for piano <laughs> school, right? So, and I don't mind. It was just so fantastic sitting, seeing Madonna sing Bad Girl while Mercy James was just kind of b- bopping away, playing those keys. It was wonderful. Such a touching moment in the show, for sure.
0: Okay, so... How did she end? What was the encore? Like, how did she deal with it at the end? Like, how did she tie this up? And how? Did, what made her come out? Yes. Well,
1: I will say there was no encore. So she ended oh, it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay, okay. and some people might think it was abrupt. And I can see that. I can see that. I can certainly see that. But as Bob the Drag Queen was saying, this is not a concert. This is a retrospective told about her life with song, with dance, Mm -hmm. with images and stuff like that. And so it Mm. ended. So it ended on Bitch, I'm Madonna, which I thought was perfect.
0: (laughs) And it was all You know what? This is like a show show. Like in the sense of like, this isn't a concert. This is me talking. And this is how I'm going to end. I'm going to (laughs) end. Bitch, I'm a Madonna. And it was with
1: all these different dancers dressed up in what I would almost say were 30 different Madonna looks. That's about, still...
0: Still, remember? Yeah, Maze. Yeah, it takes a real man to fill my shoes. That's right. All those people in drag, like yes. every version of Madonna. I was like, yeah. that is effing amazing. It was amazing. That's amazing. It was amazing. So it was okay. fun
1: to see all of her dancers dressed up in all of her different looks, and her and her most latest look. She kind of looks like a bride, but has some lace and has a <laughs> lot of black on. It was just fantastic, and it's like, bitch, I'm Madonna. And then, you know, she finally got it right and said, good night Toronto. She did say Boston at the beginning of the first night. Oh and, and then as she got to her first part, explaining the concept of the show, which yeah. was that we were going to meet various versions of her throughout. And she was going to have like, if you will, a relationship with each of these versions of herself. Right. she You know, are you mad at me that I, I called you Boston? I know you're all Toronto. Oh, and then she made this kind of interesting quip where she said, it's like as if you all said, hey, I'm off to go see Lady Gaga.
0: You know, and I was right. like, oh, good I'm twist God. of turn. Good twist. Yeah. Be and cover, then she said, cover.
1: She recovered really well, and then she said, "Hey, I like anyone that's shorter than me." And
0: it was just like
1: hilarious, kind of getting back at that little yeah. mini feud that they had a while back, which I'm sure that they're fine about. And
0: it was kind, like it was a, a it was kind a playful chip on the chin, like it's all right. good chip chip. And she, nice. she repeated it the same day. I was in a different
1: location, but this time with our friend Mo. Oh, we went. Oh, she went. She went. Oh, I'm so glad. We wonderful. were so happy. Yes, 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 yes. Our friend Mo was able to make it. She had a great, a great time, time I, and oh. was bopping oh, away. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And then I had also seen my friends Patrick and Mike that were there for the second day of the show. And they were also dumbfounded. And my friend Mike, it was his first time going to a Madonna. Oh my concert, gosh. And he was just like, Wow, 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 wow. Oh my gosh. If if she's passing by and you happen to have the funds. And there's still tickets available. Go see it. (laughs) And folks,
0: I have Madonna fever. That's all I got to say. Okay, so where are you heading to next? Can you get to her to another concert?
1: Yes. I'm, I will say this. I'm off (laughs) to New York City to be in the 100s. In Toronto, I was both nights on different parts of the floor. One at the end of the walk, and then on the second, off to the left side of the floor section. In New York, I'm headed to see her in the 100s, dead center at the back at the 100s. So I get full view. And this is what I'm learning, Sigs. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter where you are. You're going to get a fantastic show, but you see something different. So even though I'm on the floor in a second place, I saw different visuals. And it was incredible, 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 incredible. And it didn't take away from the experience. You know, if anything, Mm -hmm. it's just added to the experience. And then later... I'm going to Atlanta to be in one of the pits. And then later on, I know, listeners, I know you're like, what kind of champagne life does Jesse have? But what you works very hard. Know, he works I work very, very hard for, this, hard, for the champagne. life. I have life. to also say I was talking to a super fan about this as well. Her name is Denise. God bless. Denise <laughs> Hi, Denise. Hi, Denise. And so what I was telling Denise was between concerts, what I do is I have automatic withdrawal on check day and puts it in a separate bank account. And because it's my last bank account, it doesn't even show up on my screen. Uh, And so by the time she announces a show and I look in my savings 11 at this point, it's kind of like there's a lot that is my fund and I have enough money there to go see as many shows as I can. So I just want to say I'm being very fiscally responsible here. However, I am also going to Las Vegas where I'm going to have a VIP experience where I'm in the fourth row of the concert and then again on another side of the pit. And then that's okay. what what I have. And Denise may be going to Mexico City. So she's like, Jesse, we might just Go there, right, and also see her there too. So I don't know, you know, when she's on tour, I'm on tour, and I get to see part of the world too. You know, okay,
0: so you promise me this, and promise our holla listeners, you need to do one taste test either from Atlanta. Or New York. You make the decision. Oh my God, or totally. Vegas. Yeah. Maybe because it's Vegas VIP, maybe it should be like a Vegas VIP. I think it should be the Vegas VIP. test. I think so. Totally. Okay. Totally. okay, We look forward to that. We'll we, look forward that to so. we look forward to it. So, we look forward to that. So that
1: is why it's been so <laughs> hard to concentrate on anything else. And full disclosure, listeners, Although we're talking about American beauty, cruel intentions, which have turned 25, I partly was behind on the homework because we were supposed so to also talk about election. And did I say <laughs> to Sigs, I haven't done all my homework. Can you talk about elections? Like, let's just leave that off and let's talk okay. about what's it's turning 25 good. today. And then later it's talking about the implications of the hell and <laughs> So let's get right that into it. That was behind
0: the scenes. That was the yeah, behind the, behind the scenes. scenes that I think our listeners
1: deserve <laughs> to know. Usually right. I like to do things in, three siggy knows this but in this Uh, case you know we've devoted a bit of time to madonna fever so let's get into back into the pop culture vault knowing that we've been talking about films that have Mm -hmm. turned 25 and among them are american beauty and cruel intentions so let's start off with american beauty Siggs, for our listeners that don't know anything about american beauty can you give us the premise and the summary of what it's all about
0: Now, the premise is a sexually frustrated suburban father, played by Kevin Spacey, has a midlife crisis after becoming infatuated with his 16-year-old daughter's best friend. His Mm -hmm. wife is played by the wonderful Annette Bening. His Mm -hmm. daughter is played by Thora Birch. The best friend is played by Mina Savari. Also in the background is an door neighbor the Fitz, a son played by Wes Bentley, father Mm -hmm. played by Chris Cooper. And oddly enough, a very small role the mother played by the lovely Alice and Jamie. Yes. I forget I was, that she's, oh, in she's in it. She's in this movie. I forget I that she's in Squealing. it. I was watching Squealing. Yeah. Now, what's wonderful, and I'm going to cover a little bit of yours. This was directed by Sam Mendes. Yeah. And written right. by Alan Ball. Sam Mendes and Alan Ball, I mean, right now, Oscar winners. Yes. And Alan Ball is creative man behind Six Feet Under. Yes, Sam that's Mendes, right. I'll remember him. I mean, Skyfall director. Yeah, that's like right. Just classic. Now, these guys were the zeitgeist in 1999 and started having prolific careers and creating amazing shows. Yeah, and that's I'll leave right. it at that in 1999. And Kuya, there was an inspiration by Alan finding what exactly?
1: A plastic bag, which one of the characters had noted in as we saw him take a videotape of a plastic bag, kind of caught in a bit of a whirlwind of sorts. And he had just, seen this and seen this plastic bag caught circling in the wind thinking to himself wow there's beauty in the mundane which then inspired this entire movie again called american beauty so back in 99 sig what did you think of it when you first saw it
0: first i just saw like the casting with spacey benning cooper bentley and birch serious mesmerizing teens and like Wes Bentley Menasavari, they were in that movie that got them their Vanity Fair cover shoes. Yes, that's right. right? Yeah. And by the way, like there's little bits of trivia. There's a cheerleading sequence where Lester Burnham, played by Kevin Spacey, gets enamored by Savari character, which was choreographed by Paula Abdul. Oh my gosh, I did not she know was, that. Like, that's so cool. She was a choreographer, right, for a cheer? Right. You know, she's well. I don't know if it was the Miami Heat or whatever before. Yeah, she was a dancer. Yeah, but that makes sense. When I saw this movie, and I remember seeing it with our friend Marissa Mo. Yeah watching it i'm like to me i was like oh it was like it was to me like suburban malaise like if norman rockwell painted this family that wasn't quite happy sitting at a dinner table that's what right. i thought was sad undertones right right there's this right. lolita-esque moment with Mina savari and lester but yes really in 1999 yes. when i saw that i'm like i guess he just wants to recapture the youth and the life that Outside of his bland life, right? He's not partaking it with his daughter and wife, who do not seem interested in him. Right. And he wants to lead some sort of more meaningful life, and he thinks that I guess having an obsession with Angela, getting a being laid off, and bribing his, yes. his former employer, buying a Pontiac Firebird, <laughs> yeah. and work at a fast food joint, yes, get him in a different life. As soon as he did these things, he looked a little bit lighter, and he started working out. Right. So he was wanting this more meaningful life now. A lot of things I just listed don't translate, but I'll save that for 2024. Yes. But what I do remember that I thought was interesting, there is a side plot with the Fitz family. The father, who was from the Army, right. had Chris Cooper had a bit of a distaste. He did not trust his son because he was a drug dealer. Yes. And there was this anger, and he had sort of perceived the relationship between his son and yes. Lester Burnham yes. was sexual. When mm-hmm. it was really, he was just getting drugs from him. And right. from that, there was just this little bit of this anger. He had yes. that built up. And I a remember bit. saying, and it evolved to like some sort of self-hatred because of his own homophobia with the Chris right. Cooper character. I remember. I remember us talking about that. I'm like, yeah, hey, that's an interesting plotline. line. And you're like, well, actually, Siggy, there are some studies <laughs> on this. And I was like, it's funny how we're choosing these movies where we've had this conversation. Well, fascinatingly
1: enough about that particular, it was in 1999, those studies were emerging, positing that those that were most homophobic were probably gay in the closet or haven't come out or had not acknowledged Mm -hmm. their sexuality or wanted to be rigid about their sexuality. Now, today... It's a totally different story about that. You right. know, it's kind of like, oh, let's have compassion for those people and help them find a way to be able to express themselves instead of being homophobic externally. So, so it's just kind of interesting watching this film then to now and how oh, some yeah. things haven't changed, but maybe perhaps society has been a bit kinder to those individuals in some ways.
0: You have any other thoughts from your 1999 self watching this
1: movie? Yeah, like so, my yeah. 1999 self, I got really <laughs> obsessed with this duo of Sam Mendes and Alan Ball, and mm-hmm. as you had said, like directed Skyfall. At least Sam Mendes did went on to that, and then what I really gravitated was watching Six Feet Under, and then of course True Blood. Oh, Michael couldn't yes. take the True Blood accent. <laughs> you know, he was just so like okay, like he just could it's not. It's Southern, Southern right? Yeah. It's okay, right? So it was just, and it got a little bit, there was at one point where in True Blood, it kind of jumped the shark a little bit. And then I came back to it and watched the rest of it. But what was great was Alan Ball wasn't afraid to talk about internalized homophobia or sexuality mm. or how sexuality could be fluid. And in fact, I think that's kind of where some of my ideas kind of sprung from in terms Mm -hmm. of being exposed to this idea of sexuality being fluid, especially in True Blood. So Alan was interested in representation and messaging this to LGBT communities, which is, again, what got me so interested. And if anything, American Beauty was a springboard to introducing me to Alan Ball. I found the commentary on generational differences on internalized homophobia quite interesting. Even though that wasn't at the time the topic of cultural studies no. critics, no, they really. were very interested in talking about how American beauty at the time was about American notions of beauty and satisfaction. So you work so hard, you get to your midlife and you're in suburbia. And as you had described it, the malaise in suburbia. However, there are some of us that are happy to be anesthetized by sub- suburbia or mm-hmm. some of us that are happy to have a much more relaxed lifestyle in suburbia. But what they were saying is, is that some people work so hard that they're dissatisfied by the time they get there. And then right. it's like, then what do I buy? A yeah. car? Do I have an affair, get a more meaningful job at a burger joint? Like who <laughs> knows, right? That's right? You know, That's wherever right. you can find satisfaction. Now, Fast forward us to 2024, re-watching this, Sigs. And then I want to find out a little bit about what you think.
0: Oh, yes. My
1: thought was that this film would be really criticized for not being sensitive to the subtle forms of harassment and gender-based violence that we were watching. So 1999, me didn't really notice any of that. 2024, me was like, wow, gender-based violence. And I think that the critique would be less focused on american beauty and personal satisfaction but it would be more focused on how this was making a commentary the american male's desire mm-hmm. being predatory and toxic and i think that that's what's really interesting about rewatching it and because you see the depiction of an american male's desire being predatory and toxic it's like it's cringy. i think as as you had probably surmised and so ironic that it's Kevin Spacey that's in all of this, considering he's been caught up in his own sexual harassment and predatory scandal as well. So, six, what about you? Like I, watching it today,
0: like watching it today, I absolutely concur exactly about predatory and toxic behavior. I can't imagine Anthony Rapp, who was a victim, yeah, of Kevin Spacey being like this. Text is acknowledged as such a great movie, but. He is predatory to a 16-year-old, and he had suffered the violence and abuse from him. And I I can't imagine. It's so cringeworthy. I mean, Kevin Spacey, it's hard to say his name. The film reputation sort of tumbled. I think Sam Mendes and Alan Ball still, you know, retain their cred for their creativity, for their other texts. However, when we see this, it's just so, I mean, especially with the lead character who won an Oscar, there's a bit of a tumble. However, we're much more aware now and maybe like a view and something, not that there needs to be a reboot, but a commentary on satisfaction, self-satisfaction can really be reviewed or we can find it through other texts and stuff. Yeah. It just sort of tumble, And it's so, do you remember how revered it was in the early 2000s? It was, it was. Just like this acting. And I mean, and let's not ignore the fact Annette Benning was wonderful totally like, wonderful Ben-a-ben-a. totally chris, wonderful chris cooper like yes wes bentley thora birch like it was yeah. great but like it just really does get marked and it's that depiction well of, and it becomes oh, well, a, funny
1: yeah a product okay. of its own time in absolutely some and yeah. so
0: while the
1: movies that we discussed last episode some of them aged well and some of them didn't age well mm-hmm. this one certainly is a product of its time it's true. however it's also a reflection of its time And looking back with different eyes, it's again more a commentary on how people prey on beauty and vulnerability, and how toxic and dangerous is that? And that there was no stopping that desire, except for having to shoot
0: the person, unfortunately. And so, and it's so funny because, like, we really go that, but like, I think the intention was that Angela becomes. Enamored by him, and was like, okay. It, she shows her vulnerability because she is a virgin. She's not. Yeah. She was not sexually active. And then Lester sort of was like, oh no. Yeah. Covers and her up. Stops. Gazes at his family, and then like he meets his untimely demise. Right. Even if he got to that space, it's still not okay. It's still, it's still not, not okay. The, yeah. re- the realization was too late. That's like, clearly. right. So, That's yeah. right. He
1: had many other chances before to stop himself. Oh, exactly.
0: And I think exactly. to myself
1: also how uncreative for a midlife crisis too. You know what I mean? Like yeah, if you're going to have a midlife crisis, Work out. you yeah. know, why can you do something else? Right? Like anyways, I was just also thinking that too, as I was watching this, I'm like, you know, how many times do we see men go through, a, you know, some type of midlife crisis and that they start thinking about, again, having an affair and then, as you say, working out and trying to reclaim their glory days in some ways. Now, thinking about kind of quote unquote glory days, that kind of leads to the next film turning 25 in our analysis this particular week. So going back to the pop culture vault in 1999, what was also a rage besides American Beauty was Cruel Intentions. And so, Sigs, tell our listeners about this particular movie
0: and its premise. Based on a book and the previous movie, Dangerously, is on, two vicious step siblings, played by Ryan Felipe and Sarah Michelle Mm Gellar, of an elite Manhattan prep school, make a wager to deflower the new headmaster's daughter, played by Reese Witherspoon, before the start of the term. Now, this is almost... And I laugh, 1999, and I'm like... That type of thing isn't as titillating now, right? Because yeah. that's like the predecessor of Euphoria, it's the predecessor of um gossip girl. That's like, right. It wasn't but Back in 1999, there was it like was. the funny high school comedies. Yes. But this, yes, it was had funny tones, but this yes. is much more titillating and yes. sexual. And there was that shift where it's almost like, you know, you can watch HBO or you can watch Skinamax. And yeah. this was yeah. like that version, right? Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I remember watching this and thoughts in 1999... I knew it was inspired by Dangerous zones And so this is a little bit of behind the scenes with right. me. I knew the characters' names were original, but if you had me back in 1999, because I was such an educated film lover, insert your <laughs> shaking head and eye roll here, yes, I was yes. anti-period pieces. Do you remember this about me? I, I remember. Like watch- <laughs> you were like, you weren't going <laughs> I don't to. not want to watch period pieces. You now, and I'll Michael, forget for it, sure. Immature. I was so immature. This is because my parents and I fought about watching Amadeus when I was in the fifth grade. (laughs) But I will save that for another podcast. Okay, okay. Um, But I was hooked the moment I saw the trailer. I remember seeing the trailer in fall 1998. And come on, you start off with the riff from Six Hundred Grand by Sneaker Pimps and a seduction. Then Mm -hmm. sear into the Smiths with conniving shots of Philippi Werther geller Mm, Selma Blair, Joshua Jackson, Sean Patrick Thomas from Save the Last Dance. I loved it. And I love the Dangerous Liaison references because you had actors like Susie Kurtz and Christine Baranski in the cast yeah. playing yeah. the adults and parents. Yeah, that's now, right. Like I said in 1999, I was like, Damn, this is much more sophisticated and sexier. I mean, I would have liked a little bit of nudity from Geller or Reese Witherspoon, but we, what we got was but Ryan high school. And it's but okay got, anyway. But you got Ryan Phillippe's butt. That's true. That's true. That you, was very which scandalous match. I'm sure, you've back enjoyed. Then. I'm sure I very you enjoyed it. I'm sure you enjoyed it. That. I won't, I won't <laughs> deny that. I very much enjoyed it for sure. But yeah. again, this showed sophistication set in a high school, but NYC focused on the class system. Two privileged yeah. kids decide to play around with the lives of innocents, yeah. including Reese and Selma, because of their boredom. And it was because yes. of creating two interests, something interesting. There were like two little cats taking out yarn and winding them around various cat toys for their pleasure mm. with total disregard. Yes. Your yes. no one thoughts, 1999,
1: Jesse? 1999. Before I go into my thoughts in 1999, yes. also too, the story itself was not unfamiliar to me. In other words, I knew this story yes. already because unlike Siggy, back in the <laughs> 90s and 80s, I was into period pieces. I was watching Oscar movies. And at the time, there was a whole fixation in the late 80s, early 90s about nominating, you know, things like Amadeus and Dangerous Liaisons, the 1988 version, which at the time starred Glenn Close and John Lopovich, oh, yes. Michelle Pfeiffer, Uma Thurman, well, and a very Keanu. young Keanu yes, Reeves. Yeah. that's right. But interestingly enough, when that movie came about, 1988's version, it was actually based on a French novel by De La Clos. I was aware of all of this and I had seen the movie with Glenn Close and was such a fan of this particular period piece back then. So then it was fascinating for me to see it then modernized to contemporary society and in Manhattan specifically. So it just right. blew my mind. It was the first time that I thought to myself, wow, wow. I think I understand the universality of storytelling and that it can transcend time periods and space. It's right. kind of like a good top line. A good top line is a good top <laughs> line is a good top line. It doesn't matter if the background is bass or a country riff or mm-hmm. some type of jazz bass. If it's a good top line, it doesn't matter what the background is. Well, if it's a great story, it doesn't actually matter what the time period is. It's going to be entertaining. So. I thought this is when it finally made sense to me when they said adapted screenplays or, <laughs> yes. and I think too that this kind of serves as a template for That's right. other storytelling or re-storytelling, like 10 Things I Hate About You, for example, that comes a little bit down the road or any other kind of retelling of a period piece classic. So great adaptation to the plot and thought it was great storytelling back then in 1999. And it, brought about the same excitement and titillation that I felt when I watched the 1988 version of Dangerous Liaisons with all those True. cast of characters as well. Now, I have to say, today in, in 2024, mm-hmm. it's this kind of idea of unsupervised teens and young adults kind of cavorting all over Manhattan and getting into a number of sexual <laughs> estates, you know? And it seems like blasé today, right? So it's like oh, yeah. like what you talked about, euphoria, sex education, All of this stuff. Again, sex is just a part of all of this, which I agree with, but it's less furtive, less scandalous, whatever the case may be. I enjoy, though, how it parallels this time around, at least in my second watch of it, with these eyes in 2024. It really parallels this (laughs) idea of the upper class and the super rich elite who are Mm -hmm. in some ways are also unsupervised and reminds me of the disparity in wealth. So there's this vice series where they interview servants of the super rich in Mm -hmm. some ways, and they're all kind of anonymized. And then they talk about like the outlandish things that they had to do for the rich and how traumatizing it was. And again, it's kind of like, wow, Teens are unsupervised in this film, Well, the super rich are also unsupervised as well. So I think, if anything, it really remarks on that or speaks to this to me today in 2024 on how the super rich are unsupervised and uh, what kind of things are they getting away with, you know, and how are they, as you say, teasing the masses. Right, it's true. So it makes me kind of think about that. It just makes me think. So that's what I found interesting was it brought those thoughts out for me watching this again in 2024. How about you, Sigs? What has come out for you in 2020?
0: Honestly, I feel like they warmed up the playgrounds for like these yeah. other, t- the leading team whether it's Gossip Girl, Euphoria, yes, Sex Education. Yeah. And it's so funny, I forgot that they were trying to have, Cruel Intentions 2 was supposed to be a TV show, but it went direct to DVD. With Amy Adams! Like, oh my gosh, I forgot Sarah Michelle Gellar, Remember, she was doing yeah. a Geller, Michelle Geller impression. Yeah. Yeah. But what I find interesting is that everything old is new again. You will see a taste test coming out after this episode when we talk about the talented Mr. Ripley. Mm-hmm. But Amazon Prime is creating Cruel Intentions, the TV series. Now, right. it's yes. updated Step Siblings at a DC college amidst a backdrop of the Greek and Panhellenic system. Yes. So that is the background. I don't know much more. A diverse cast is being like unknowns, except for Sean Patrick Thomas, I think is on the in the cast as like an adult, probably. But I feel like everything old is new, like these type of things. I'm sure there's gonna be social media and something scandalous and If you recall, in Cruel Intentions, their social media was in the first part, like the cold open of the show, where Sebastian is being met with a psychiatrist and he knowingly hooks up with her daughter, right? By Tara Reid, and he posts naked pictures of her on the internet.
1: Right, right. And Susie Kurtz
0: goes crazy. And I'm like, so that was 1999. Yes. Can you imagine 2024, Sebastian Belmont and Catherine Morte going mm. crazy in Washington, D.C.? Right.
1: At least in a college yeah. system. You know, yeah. and I think kind of watching it in a private prep school, it's kind of like, oh, they're so young. You know, why yeah. is there no supervision? You know, not that it makes it any better, but I guess it'll be salacious and fun and delicious to age. watch. Yes, <laughs> age, right? Now, when we were yes. thinking and planning this particular episode, Something that I had noticed about American Beauty, Cruel Intentions, and to some extent elections—if we were able to cover it—I was able to do my homework. Okay, you know, is this idea that all these films make commentary on who cares? Like, who cares about these characters? Who cares? I mean, it's fun to watch them, but I don't know that we're watching them because we care and have empathy for them. I think, if anything, it's like we want to see what happens and if they get their just desserts in some ways. That, now, exactly. Again, all these characters in these films aren't necessarily likable or enough to care about. And so when I think about this idea of caring, these films also remind me of the Philippine value of na, which wow. I know we've talked about this before, but we haven't really kind of unpacked it a little bit. No, In my study of it and my understanding of what Filipino scholars say about it, Bahalana has this really deterministic idea that things will work out in the end and to not worry, or more precisely, don't care too much about the situation or circumstances. So, in other mm-hmm. words, if something didn't work out your way, Bahalana, it's okay, Sigs, right? I'm sure you've heard this expression said by your parents or by yes. extended family many times. Have you? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Where it's just uh, Bahalana, like it's just one of yeah. those things, like let live, like I'm like, okay. And so many times there's different tones to it. Right, And I'm wondering if you're going to unpack that. I'm going to unpack that in just a second, yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, looking at where does Bahala Na come from, you know, interestingly enough, they believe that some of the root words Bahala actually come from Filipino indigenous terms relating to God, actually. But it's also rooted in Catholicism where we're expected to have and expect to leave our fate in the hands of God or in the hands of Hmm. Jesus. Now, in terms of, how that's become Bahalanah, I think in some ways it's become a value that's been adopted that's supposed to leave us with less stress and apparently more peace. So in some ways it's also encouraging us to accept that sometimes matters are beyond our personal control. And when I think about the Philippines, you know, there are environmental disasters and also there are accidents and unexpected deaths. So sometimes it's the idea that it's like Bahalanah, you know, like if you lost your house in a flood, bahalana. That environment, it's beyond our control. You can worry about it all you want, but you're just going to essentially be wasting your energy. So it's really, again, an encouragement to see if we can just kind of accept what has gone on and accept our fate. And sometimes our fate feels a little bit determined, but to accept our fate. So yeah. I would say that it also acts as a form of coping and it's similar mm-hmm. to those ideas in other cultures. Not, you know, not surprisingly Spanish cultures where it's like, hey, sara, sara, you know, whatever, will, whatever be, will be, will be, will be, which I'm sure yeah. you've heard of or yes. even is sometimes even referenced within the Filipino tradition. But it can be a form of dealing with risk and uncertainty when the outcome is negative. And so okay. something bad occurs Bahalana, it's okay. Like, let's accept it. Let's move on. Maybe yeah. God has something better in plan for us. Maybe there's another path for us. Let it be. Now, kind of what you're alluding to, sometimes this can be taken to an extreme. And mm. it typically comes out in how it's said. In other words, it's delivery and the tone that a person uses. So Mm -hmm. sometimes if we take Bahala Na to its extreme and it becomes skewed, sometimes people end up becoming overly compliant, you know, so just agreeing to everything. So if something bad has occurred, to just keep taking it.
0: And Mm -hmm. sometimes
1: it's also contributed to ideas that Filipinos should be helpless or, you know, Me help like you know, don't bother, right? So don't bother mm-hmm. helping that person, or don't bother helping ourselves. And on the most extreme end, have I also heard you know bahalana used in ways of being callous and blaming and of others for their for their misfortune? Yes. And so it comes out like bahalana, right? And it's yeah, kind of, you know, I'll take care of it. Siggy bahalana, I'll take care of it. You know, type of stuff. exactly that way.
0: Yeah, that's else? the tone I've heard, or just like. <sighs> You don't have the capacity to deal with it. So by yeah. on your part, yeah. we'll deal with it. Right. I love how you talk about, about being helpless or over-compliant. So what do I learn from that?
1: Yeah, Nothing.
0: Yeah. Like, Is the solving that, oh, I just back off and not learn, and someone will come in and sweep in and figure it out for me? Or right. how, what do I need to learn from it? Like, It's really like I have a light bulb. I'm like, oh, that's the context. I mean, this is younger me, but I'm like, I can see that type of um, skew of it.
1: When it is a Bahala Na, where it's like, oh, Bahala Na sigs, right? Like this bad thing happened to you. It's okay. Like another opportunity is going to come the way. Exactly. Yes. That's, I think, typically the way we're, so then it gets you to accept that it's like, yeah, that was beyond my personal control. control. Yeah. I'm not going to ruminate or stew over this a little bit more. I'm going to try to move forward. But other times people kind of like what you described, it's like, oh, You know, I'm resentful for having to rescue you because you can't handle it. (laughs) So, bahalana, And it Mm. almost is very silencing in a lot of ways, which is kind of where it becomes callous and blaming. Mm -hmm. And and then it promotes kind of like helplessness in others, where then it just perpetuates this rescuing dynamic, where then people just become compliant. It's like, okay, kuya. Okay, fine. You, you handle it. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm helpless. I'm stupid. I don't know how to handle any of this stuff. But that's not actually the case. And in fact, <laughs> I don't actually think, at least in my study and review of Bahalanah, that was ever its intention. It's been skewed to look like that. Mm-hmm. I saw this most recently in one of my cousins who was trying to buy a house, you know, and as mm-hmm. you know, and as people, listeners might know, at least in Canada, at least in Ontario, really difficult to buy a house. Ooh. You could yeah. be not only just outbid, but outmarket in a lot of ways where suddenly you can afford it one month. You're no longer able to afford the neighborhood that you were told that you can afford at that point. And I had a cousin that just kept hitting roadblock after roadblock. And Mm -hmm. I could tell that she just wanted to give up and kind of take on that helpless role, you know, fed through the high idea of bahala na. And I remember her mom saying, oh, anak bahala na to her. And I was like, no, 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 right? Like if you give up now, then you will forever get yourself priced out of buying property for the next year or so. And then you'll have to go out further afield and settle with living in something really small at that Mm -hmm. point. And I had just explained to my cousin that it's like, just because something closes to you doesn't mean that you should give up. And again, I think Baha'u'llah gives that message of just give up, just give up, right? It's not meant to be, so just give up. And it's like, I don't think it meant that. I think it means Baha'u'llah, it's like, it's not meant to be, so try something else. Try something else in some ways. And I think that that kind of takes us to really the fixing Mm -hmm. of the week. Bahala Na isn't supposed to stop us from taking more action. If it did, my cousin then wouldn't have been able to buy her house, which I'm happy to report that she has, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Rather, it's the acceptance that, hey, this choice didn't work out and we should rise to the challenge and seeing if there are other choices available to us. So... In some ways, actively accepting that a choice is not available should then motivate us to be resourceful in a lot of ways, instead of being helpless and giving up or being resentful of others for having to rescue them. So instead of being resentful or instead of giving up, I would say be resourceful. And that, I think, is probably what Bahala was is intended to be all along, was encouraging us to be resourceful. Sigs, I don't know if there's anything else to add to that before you take
0: us out. You gave me some food for thought and some actual like comprehension of Bahala that, that term that I always heard when I was younger. So, yeah, folks, yeah. if you have anything to share, your thoughts on Bahala or I mean your thoughts on Cruel Intentions, American Beauty, or even the Madonna tour that's happening right yes, now. Yes, yes, yes. Email <laughs> us at hollowhollowpopculture at gmail.com. We love mail. The Me Hollow too. podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. Come on, subscribe, download some old episodes, download our current episodes, rate us, and leave a review. Tell your friends. We are on social media. Our main account is on Instagram at hollow hollow pop Culture.
1: Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chelch Ring, and we'll see all of you again real soon.
0: See you guys soon.